so you can go back to the heart and what the heart knows and what the heart understands and this is the organ of perception really that used to be our major organ of perception for millennia you know only in the last just few hundred years have we moved that center up to the brain which just doesn't have the wisdom the brain is good for certain things it's like a, a nice tool in a toolbox but it's not meant to rule the world and look at what a mess we've made of it when we let it rule the world you're listening to find the good news episode 114 the foldover worlds a beacon series conversation featuring dream analyst and depth psychologist terry award Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. I started having potent dreams on repeat when I was a young boy. Mindscapes so dense with texture and gravity that it was not unusual for me to question whether the space I found myself in upon awakening wasn't, in fact, the dream. In my early 20s, these flavorful dreams, called such because I could taste them in my mouth, seemed to intensify, often bringing a heavy imagery charged with some type of misfortune. Still, other dreams, much brighter and lighter in tone, have had an almost vision-like quality, leading my heart and mind to some type of comforting sense of hope. I've often spoke of these things on my other podcast, The Dawn Deacon. Over the years, I've taken great care to hold these things close and safe, not sharing them openly. I've learned that sharing your dreams in a serious way isn't always taken very seriously, at least within most of the larger rings I've traveled. This started to change last year when I opened the door to this podcast to guests from outside of my local community, and this is also how I met my friend, dream analyst and depth psychologist, Terry Award. Terry and I were in a group related to a book I'd featured on the show. There was quite a large number of people in the group, but Terry's additions to the conversation were always insightful, and they really stood out to me. One day, she shared an image of her father, herself, and Buckminster Fuller. During my early age of exploration and discovery after an awakening experience, I'd landed in a sphere of curiosity surrounding Buckminster Fuller. His story fascinated me. The photo of Teria with her father and Bucky breathed life into my old interest, so I reached out to her. We became fast friends through this node and have stayed in a type of orbit ever since, eventually becoming letter and stamp pen pals, a form of communication that thanks to Teria's rich letters, I am learning to cherish all over again. Teria's journey is as rich and textured as my young dreams, filled with the promise that there is more connective tissue between our slumbering minds and what most call the real world. What I admire most about Teria is her willingness to kindly walk with others along the vastness of their dreamscapes, acting as a type of dream Sherpa, bringing all of her experience to each space, experience, or plateau. To me, she seems to stand on many layers at once with an ability to perceive the overlapping slides between individuals and their personal dreams, as well as their experiences, looking for collective and synchronistic lockups that may hold greater meaning for everyone on Earth. While our visit is about the layered worlds of visions and dreams, it is also grounded in very real experiences that play out in our dusty, ordinary lives. As you listen to my conversation with Teria, I feel strongly that you will sense that firm tether to this realm of the real, and that you will find a great treasure, as I have, in getting to know Terry Award. Now, 
I invite you to find a fluid, flexible space that allows you to sink your consciousness just a bit deeper than the solid footing near the shallows, allowing shifting mind sand and heart waves to make you question the direction gravity plays on your body. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up the story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance in a holy ball of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. This is going to be interesting for me. And actually, it's so amazing. I got to tell you just immediately how comfortable I feel meeting you through video. I This is unique in my podcasting experience so far because you're the first person that I've had on the show that my relationship pre-existed through writing. Oh, uh-huh. This is new yeah. for me. I mean, we... We've had this, to me anyway, for me in my life, have had this unique opportunity to get to know each other through written, mailed letters. Yes, right. Yeah. I thought that was such a beautiful thing when you extended that invitation. I thought, what a nice thing he's doing. And then about four days later, I thought, well, I should do that then. If I think it's so nice, I should, I should, because uh, it felt to me like you were reaching out to, um, to meet people in this way. Yeah. So I I thought it's a brilliant and beautiful thing to do. Oh, I love, I loved, I just got your letter, by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah, your recent <laughs> letter. And I was like, gosh, I can't wait. What I find is I can't wait to respond. Uh huh. But the other thing I find is that I don't want to respond instantly. Like right. I, I've read it twice and I thought, you know, I want to sit down. That's what I've got. And at least from this letter writing experience is it makes me more mindful when I sit down. It's like, what? parts of this letter do I, I feel connected to and what do I want to respond to and it's just more mindful in general and I will say this too it must be harder for people to do than it used to be because I've written probably 20 letters and only gotten um, two back two people out of the 20 I've sent like my initial anchor I call them like the anchor letters I've only, and that's been months now since I started that. I've only gotten two, one from you and one from another person. And uh, no, three. I'm sorry, three. But um, I, I thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it's that it's a time thing, if we just don't have the time to write or if um, 
it's just harder than maybe people think it's going to be to sit down and write a letter. But uh, it's something different because I used to, when I was younger, when I was in college, that was it. I mean, it was all letters. And I, I have shoeboxes full of letters. Uh-huh. But something's right. changed, I think. The letter writing might be a lost art almost yeah it well now in the age of twitter and even email i used to write email like uh, a letter and then i kind of got admonished by my daughter and you know some <laughs> other people it's like we, you know really just give me a couple sentences i don't want to read all that God, i'm the same so way I have to learn the ethos of okay on an email i give them a couple sentences otherwise you're boring them to death so uh, I had to relearn how to even communicate at that level. So I think that people are now trained in a whole different way of how to communicate in writing. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I have the, I'm, you saying that about email. I've experienced the same thing. I I think my last two decades of my life have become an experiment in communication, and. Yeah. What I am discovering is the ways that I like to communicate or the ways that I appreciate are not really always appreciated. You know, I I like a long form podcast, for instance, like I like longer, richer conversations that have enough time for people to get comfortable with each other and then for the 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 bud to unfold and then the pollen to form and, you know, everybody to breathe it in. And I'm finding that. Even this show, um, people want that short 15-minute content, and I'm just not a 15-minute content kind of person, you know? Interesting, yeah. (laughs) Well, what a beautiful uh, smorgasbord of content you've created. So, uh, yeah, I'm just so happy to have that library now of your podcast. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're a part of it too. I'm so, I've I've been really thinking about this. Like, you know, you've asked me how, what are we going to talk about and how's it going to go? And I've almost been hesitant to put any kind of framework on it because I, uh, I feel like there's something rich that could potentially happen here in our, in our natural conversation. Cause our letters I, I'm so eager to see how those unfold as we continue to write because I'm I'm seeing the territory we're getting into and I just love it. I love that sharing of ideas and I won't as their letters are private but the way you I will say this without spoiling anything or saying anything to anybody who's listening I feel like you did something in that last letter that I appreciate so much and it's that you just went with it you said i feel like i want to share something and i'm just going to do it and see what happens and i'm that kind of person too it's like you're testing how deep the water is right i mean it's exactly and okay i'm sticking my stick here and going can i paddle down this stream or is it shallow and Uh you stuck your stick in the water and i was like oh i love that she did this i love that so much oh good good yeah, that was spontaneous, and and these are the opportunities we don't have in writing very often. But yeah, I had just had a whole flood of of thought and conversation just before I sat down to write the letter, and I thought, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. I'm going to write about these thoughts that I'm having at this moment. And, well, what an uh, opportunity you've given me! I mean, that's exactly what I thought. I remember I went to the mailbox, I opened the letter. And I didn't even sit down to read it. My son came in and he was, what are you doing? I said, I've got a letter. And I was like, it's amazing how eager I was. Uh, I didn't even uh, sit down. I was just like, I'm standing at the table reading it. And then I, I sat down and read it again. And 
what I thought after the second read was like, what an opportunity this is for me because whether I am in hundred percent alignment with anybody and what they've experienced or what they are sharing or whether I accept, I'm in full alignment. What it does is it creates like this little node and it gives me an opportunity then to go, Hey, what do I think about this? Nobody's ever asked me this before. Nobody's ever presented this to me before. Or even if I've experienced this, piece of knowledge or information it's always been sort of abstract maybe in a book not with a person and so it's an opportunity for me to go now i can actually explore my own thoughts my heart my mind and then share that with another human being yeah and get feedback that's a cool thing yeah in in real time so to speak you know we can we can have these conversations like you said with authors james joyce or you know yates or something you know i'm having conversations with them as i'm reading but but when it's with somebody like you where where there's the opportunity to throw it out there and then have have something come back that's a that's a whole other way of getting into the writing uh communication yes one thing that i was just talking to my wife about shortly before we got on this interview was how I've noticed, and especially this last year, I'm, I'm kind of going through a, a phase, which I, when I'm feeling myself going through a phase, I, I try to allow it to happen. And the best way I described it to her was like, sometimes our, my spiritual life is like a kite up in the wind, right? I mean, I can see it's up in the sky, it's on the breeze, and it's like I'm looking at these big landscapes. But I'm still down on the ground and I feel like with the stage I'm in is I want to, sh- I want a string that's really secured and tethered in practicality. Like no matter how high that kite goes, I'm willing to pull, I'm, re- I'm willing to let that string just roll out mm-hmm. as high as it'll go. Mm-hmm. But I, I gotta. I, I also want to remember how does that affect me? Wherever that kite is, how's it really affecting me with my shoes off in the dirt? Like living here in this very ordinary world that's filled with some struggles and strifes and real things that I've got to face, um, or all of us, and not just me, but I'm like that. For me, is where I think my fruit is right now. Um, now I might climb that string again and be up there with the kite, but right now I feel like that's where I'm at. And I was, so I told her that in, in thinking, I said, you know, I'm wondering how this is going to start affecting my conversations. Like, how's this going to affect our conversation today? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're reminding me of a dream I had sometime in the last year. Um, and it was a very simple dream, but it was, like I was being instructed about how to live in two worlds at once. Yeah. And you know that it's, uh, it can sound cliche, but when it comes in a dream, it's like, Nope, this is something real that I'm, you know, being instructed about and I'm going to learn. And I've been really thinking about it. So, um, you know, even like today I have this conversation with you and then I have something I'm doing in a couple hours. That's really sort of, esoteric and out there and i'm trying to get ready for a trip i'm drinking my house <laughs> right. i'm trying to fix my uh air conditioner i'm you know yeah. so 
And it's like living in two worlds at once. So I'm fully present in each of them so that I can really be fully present in the practical uh, responsibilities of my day. And as well as in these um, um, other dimensional kinds of ways of engaging everything that is. Yeah. God, that's exactly. I'm glad you said that. That helps frame exactly what I was trying to express. It's like I I have the eyes of the kite, but also have the eyes of the guy on the ground too. And there's a string between us, and a whole world between us. Along that string is all these dimensions, you know. And it's okay to be at any stage along that string because you're kind of in both worlds all the time, really. Maybe just not aware of one or the other, depending on what's going on. Well, it sounds like your psyche is introducing you to string theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the multidimensional consciousness. And so, you know, you have it, it gave you that beautiful image there to work with. And in quantum physics and all that, it's, you know, that's, that's an exploration that you're um, entering there with that exquisite image that you're working with. One thing that I struggle with as a young person uh, and I mean, young is relative, I guess. But for me, a young person was, you know, 15 to 20, uh-huh. you know. And so what I struggled with was f- that sort of eyes in the sky feeling that I didn't belong here, you know, that I was from somewhere else. I almost felt like an alien in my own body when I was younger in that age bracket. I mean, a lot of people go through that identity crisis type feeling like out of place or out of sync. But I had a severe case of um, why am I on earth? That's the only way I could like put that there. And so as I got older, trying to understand that and that, that feeling began to manifest as other things. But today looking back on that, I've almost like reframed it for myself and it's a healthier thing for me. It's like, Oh no, no, I'm, I'm chose to be here for something. And it may not, and that grand something is just to live it, just to live here, and I don't have to be from here or 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 not from here. I'm, right. I'm, it's both things. It's okay. I have a, I came here for whatever that is uh, to ride it out, and there's obviously some some purpose in riding it out as an ordinary, just a plain person like millions and billions of beings do. Right. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. It, yeah, that, I was watching some of your videos and it got me thinking. I was listening to you talk about, you know, angels and heavenly realms and things of that nature. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this came up in another conversation that I had with someone, you know, that uh, there's the thought that in the realm of the gods, they actually want to come here because this is where you learn compassion. Oh, oh, how nice. You know, uh, when things are heavenly and perfect and without suffering or pain or strife of any kind, you almost have no opportunity to learn it. Right. Because everything's good and whole. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've also um, read where angels uh, sort of envy mankind because we get to have, we get to smell the dirt and mm. we get to have a, cup of hot chocolate in our hand yeah. and to do all these things that um when you exist in these other dimensions you know that that are, are very specific to our earth experience so yeah. so yeah i i think that uh you know their interdimensional consciousness and beings 
we can appreciate all of the things that we know and learn in those dimensions, but also what a huge value we have being here on Earth, in Earth, in this uh, incarnated uh, life we've chosen. So. Yeah. Well, we went right in, and I'm having a good time already. Yeah, great. <laughs> if yeah. we could take a little pause right here, I would love if you could just take a minute or two, or however long you like, and introduce yourself to the listeners. My name is Taria Ward. Uh, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I have a PhD in depth psychology, and I have a history where I was a minister for 20 years in an interfaith organization and studied all the world's religions, very passionate about that study, and then started moving beyond religion in a way into psychology and into the indigenous ways of knowing and being in the world, and um, ultimately resigned from the ministry, which was a painful part of my journey because it was uh, it was like a divorce mm. uh, so um, but I, I needed to move into new areas my own individuation journey was taking me to uh, so through that journey and study and signed up for my doctoral work in depth psychology and studying with indigenous people I became more than ever um, interested in dream work and uh, I had been in 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 the ministry that I'd been in. We wrote down our dreams every day, and when there, we were very conversant with each other. You know, in my marriage, we talked about our dreams. You know, every time we had one, we were sharing them with each other. It was awesome. And um, so I was always interested in dreams. But then going into the doctoral work, I did more of a study of it. You know, more of a scientific um, study of how dreams are. And then with the indigenous um, studies. Um, going into the dream time, you know, mm. their dimension of how to be uh, aware of ourselves in the world is, is this dream time consciousness. So I did a lot of studying in all those ways. I studied with a lot of indigenous elders. I did vision quests, quite a number of them. And then I have conducted vision quests for others, taken people out on the mountain and um, supported them while they did their journey in nature, which has been done for millennia and millennia. It's done in every religion. Um, basically, it's not just a Native American thing. I mean, you'll find it in, in every religion that you just go out and you're alone in mm. nature. Find your vision or find your sense of your deep connection to spirit. So I've conducted those. I had a retreat center for several years here in Asheville, North Carolina, and now I moved into town. I was out in the in the mountains, in the wilderness for those years that I had my retreat center, moved into Asheville, and now I just have a private practice and do a lot of teaching online um, and work with people in their dreams and also do oracular readings. I was guided in a dream to study the the tarot and other oracular ways of consulting the great intelligences of, uh, you know, this matrix of life. And uh, so I do those kind of private readings and teaching. And um, I hope that kind of sums that it up. That is. That's so rich and robust. I mean, it's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, I, I again, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, sometimes that you can read yourself to pieces almost like uh i said but i i look back on 
25 years of just reading and, and exploring and looking and as rich and as, and as thankful as I am for all of that, it ultimately could have stopped at any one of those books uh-huh. because that's what happens over that time is you start to see those intersecting nodes and those links. As you said, all these different religions and vision quests, it's, it, it's supersedes those things. It's beyond them. It's, it's not particular to them. It's very human uh, to do those things. And yet, you know, we search and we search, but really you can find the seeds of those singular truths just about anywhere you look in any one source. Right, exactly. I mean, I think basically we're all one thing. Um, There's only really one mind in the universe and it's, you know, we're in it. So, yeah, we're, it's, uh, you know, there's so many different paths to the same destination and and I honor them all, basically. What do you think your most important work has been? I mean, after doing all the things that you mentioned, I mean, and now where you're at today in retrospect, I mean, when you look at it, what is the trajectory that you find has been really the most effective for you in helping other people and in helping yourself? I would say working with dreams. Yeah. That has been consistently, to me, the most uh, efficacious, potent, powerful true um it's as jung says dreams are pure nature unvarnished it's they and they always tell us the truth so um it's uh the work with dreams of the night and also the dreaming dimension of our uh everyday life that i find the most uh, um probably consistent mode of how to be on this quest that I'm on. And I help others make those connections with their own dreaming and their own dreaming mind. Yeah. I, I have had experiences with dreams as well. In fact, one of my, on my other podcasts, I I had an episode where I, I tried to talk about it just openly and freely. And I'd love to, get your take on this as someone that actually works in this realm you know, what I was trying to describe to my listeners in that episode was what I have discerned as the difference, the different flavors of dreaming. And one type of dream that has been pretty persistent for me since I was a young boy was the, was dreams that were um, experiences, dreams mm-hmm. where I'm in the dream and I'm experiencing something and the way I described these these types of dreams was that either the gravity or the air from the dream wakes up in my body or in my mouth or in my lungs. Like if I'm in a space in a dream and it's a particular type of experience and I wake up and I can still feel the gravity from that dream, just even for a moment, that mm-hmm. dream had a, a, if I look on it, if I'm able to really recall it, it ends up being a dream of great importance in my life or something that's coming, um, a feeling or a, sometimes a warning even. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. And then the other type was what I would call more like a vision, vision type of dream where it's still somewhat experiential in the sense that I'm seeing things, but there's lots of high symbols, lots of, iconic things are being shown if i sit down and reflect on those there's usually a bunch of things that need to be interpreted but what's strange is i usually know what they mean it's not sometimes things are said 
words are specifically said, things are pointed out. It's like a, a living painting and trying to make sense of it and go, okay, what does all of this mean collectively? And it's usually just, it's almost like a call to action. The other is like a, a warning. And I hate to use the word warning. It sounds negative, but it's like a, a maybe premonition is not the right word either, but there's just an implication that something's coming. And then the other type is a call to make a change or an action within. It's something for me to do or listen to. And so hearing me say those two types of things, does that resonate with you? Cause that's just me trying to express it to you experientially. What does that mean to you? Well, it's so familiar to me. I mean, I, I know, I know what you're talking about. I mean, both of those feel like, yes, I know exactly what I you're saying. I figured you would. <laughs> yeah, right. So those are very familiar. And there are so many other experiences of dreams, too. So they're really multivalent. There's so many different. I mean, just like, you know, if somebody said, what's it like to be alive as a human? Well, you're going to say this and you're going to say that, and there's no way to nail it down. Right. And that's kind of what, like the dream, you know, there's this kind of dream and that kind of dream. There's all, what are all the experiences of the dreaming? It's, it's immense, you know, yeah. and there's so many ways to describe it. Um, I, I feel like um, the, the first type of dream that you're describing, where you just have a sense that you're being, it's a heads up. Mm-hmm something's being shown to you that feels to me like you're tapping into your own sort of prophetic nature that's Mm. in you and in the world itself and so there's you know there's a piece of us that exists beyond time uh and so and we live in time so there's a past present and future in our day-to-day waking experience but in this other dimension of ourselves there's no such thing as time so we know what has been and what will be, and it's all one thing anyway. Mm. So it sounds to me like um, in that experience, you're just going into that place of awareness and then trying to assimilate it back into your waking consciousness in this um, sort of three-dimensional um, consensual reality that we're enjoying together. Um, so, And it can feel like... A, Sometimes, like, it, it, it's a little disconcerting because knowing, you know, even just sensing uh, what's to come, even if we don't know exactly what it is, can be disconcerting because we don't sure. normally live in that state of knowing what the future is going to unfold. Sure. So, um, but it seems to me you're you're just in that, in your dream, probably much more fully than you're able to bring back into your recollection. Um, and probably more comfortable with it there than you are when you wake up with it here. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On the Don Deacon Podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings, enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts? Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Don Deacon Podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way 
I hope you'll join me at the Don Deacon Podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Don Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. Does that sound true? Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind, I'd actually, if you have the time, I'd actually like to share two recently that in the last year that really were shocking to me. And it's happened a lot more than these two times, but these... It's it's been a long time since I could say, oh my gosh! Like very quickly, I could see that this is what this was about, and I really was stunned. So I don't usually share the dreams with anybody if it's a dream, but unless I said I could feel that gravity or like that smell it or something, like when I wake up. And so last year in January, I had one of these types of dreams, and I woke up. And I was like, wow, man, I was just, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. It was so vivid. The images were so vivid the, of what I saw. And I went to work that morning and I told everyone at work I, at my office, I said, we were having our morning meeting. I said, boy, I had this just wild dream, so vivid and so real. And I didn't, I didn't share with them, hey, I have these dreams. You know, I just was telling them about the dream. And so in the dream, I was driving around my city and there were very few cars on the road and the strangest thing that was going on in my dream was that all the businesses were they weren't boarded up but they had signs all over the doors every business i mean like in the windows big signs it was like i I was like why are all these why is this like this this is so strange and the signs had messages of it was like rules about who could come in and how they could come in. You had to do all these things to come in the business. And then there were these racist race. I called them racist signs, but it was um, racist about racial signs about black people. And I was like, God, it's such a strange juxtaposition. Like why are first, why are there all these rules? It made me feel afraid. Like, like, I don't know if I want to go in here. I don't feel safe to enter. Mm -hmm. Well, a month and a half later, we started getting the, you know, we're hearing the news out of the, the pandemic and then there's all the restrictions and then the George Floyd murder happened and Black Lives Matter marches going on all over the country, which I partook in some of those. And one of my employees said, do you remember that dream you told us about? She said, we're living in that right now. Do you realize that there's like signs everywhere? Okay with these messages on top of we can't go into any of the businesses and there's all these restrictions. And I was like, gosh, yeah. And the feeling was the same. Like, this is what I felt like, like very tense and anxious. And there was so much like boiling. And she was like, that's, that's weird. Right. And I said, it is a little, it wasn't weird to me, but it was very specific to that dream. Like it was like my dream was mashing those things together into one experience. You know, it, there, it's just such a beautiful example of the fact that each of us have that, you know, like your string, we have that string connected to the prophetic uh, voice, you know, that, that part of life and self and world and God or whatever we want to call it that absolutely knows what's coming and what is. And it's in some sense, you know, as they describe it, it's already happened. The future has already happened. Right. 
remembering when we're even when we're um, pro- you know projecting into the future. It's just remembering what's already happened. Yeah, that's kind of what well, it felt like. I'm glad you said that because that's another thing that I I remember sharing with my wife. I said these things, these dreams, when they happen, it's not like a feeling like okay you're getting something special, you're special, you need to see this because you're going to change. It's none of that. It's none of that extra. It's just yeah. like a time slip is all I could feel like. Like a, like I'm trying to look, like I'm seeing something that's happened already, but I'm looking at it almost like it's sped up and all the pieces are overlapping each other. And so there's this weird amalgam of things from a specific chunk of time laying on top of each other, painting a reality. I think that's just a beautiful description of reality itself. It's all just folded over each other, you know, past, present, future, all the dimensions of all of that, um, all the worlds, you know, all sort of folded in together. So, I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful description. I think just, um, reality itself and that's a good thing to think of yeah to think of it that way like where and where are we at you know what are we able to actually see right in, within yeah. those multi-layers right right and we can see them all at once that's the, you know that's the um sort of skills i think that we're trying to learn now is how to see them all at once like i was talking before about living in two worlds at once but Basically, you know, how to live in all the worlds at once is is part of our um, development, I suppose. Yeah, and how to and and that's what you where your work lies, right? I mean, help helping people to do that to to leave, be able to see it all and live it all. As you were saying, you know, within a day, you may have to wear many hats, and can I wear those hats and still? have my finger on the pulse so to speak you know of those other realities as i'm wearing a particular identity maybe or a particular taking up a, a role the garments of a particular role at a moment right yeah i don't have the luxury in this particular lifetime to to be in the convent where i can just kind of dwell on the aspects of life and spirit that i would like to just spend all my time with I do have a lot of responsibilities in my life and I have had kids and I have jobs and I have to, you know, yeah. pay the bill, all of that. So that's the life I've chosen. But I like to think I can live exactly like that, you know, those incarnations and much more contemplative lifestyle, even as I'm doing all this. I think that it's possible. Yeah. And I think that's what we're learning is we don't have to um, do one or the other. We can live in in both ways all at the same time and make it all sort of consistently part of each other you know sort of enriching all of the choices you know the the sort of mundane life choices that i've made and uh and then the the spiritual connection that i seek so um passionately yeah i like that you said that because one of my little mantras lately in this particular phase i've been moving through is really simple and it's just i'm no monk you know Uh, because i've daydreamed about that so often in my life even as a young man like just being that man on the mountaintop uh and living in that reality that space you know from sun up to sundown i even told my mother you know who's usually she's homebound i mean she doesn't go very many places just because of health uh, issues but there are some days I told her, I said, some days I do envy 
you a little bit. I said, you know, to just watch the light move across the floor. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, she said back to me, she said, that gets old. And, uh you know, and it's interesting how you can idealize that. And I've done that. Like, idealize that, that cellular life, you know, of the ascetic or the mystic or the monk. And I've, as you said, I love that you said it. it's like I, I, I'm having to learn my whole life, I think, has been about learning how to still touch that, but live in the truth of the life I have. Right. Yes. All at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, I, I, I do have a solid sense. I don't even want to call it a belief. It feels like something I know that reincarnation is part of who we are and how how we experience you know life on this planet and other planets maybe um and at this point we're living all the lives at once you know um we're integrating all the things that experiences that we've had of being rich or poor or sick or well or male or female or you know this culture or that culture or black or white all of it you know we've had it all and we've done it all, and now we're trying to integrate all that. And all the things that we will be have already happened, too. So yeah. all of it, you know, and we can somehow carry with some kind of grace, um, you know, the lessons and the awareness and the compassion and the caring, you know, for all those things at once. And know that everywhere we see it reflected is part of our who we are, you know, that we're not separate from anyone or anything i love that you had that dream of um seeing yourself in the next year of the you know the businesses that were boarded up and what are the rules and and dealing with the the black lives matter movement as it just erupted in such a uh, powerful way um it's like you were living into the future already and just really finding your stride with it and prepared for it well oddly enough that it wasn't long after that that I, I did want to share this other one with you you know uh that was right after that not long you know it was in july of last year you now i live in louisiana you probably know that i live along the gulf coast and mm-hmm. um so last july we were having one of our mobile remote meetings because that's how our team had been working you know we were all set up remotely at, like a lot of people So we were having our weekly meeting and I had another one of those gravity error type dreams. But this one was, uh, I was trying to drive. I was in my city again, like my area. I was trying to drive, but every street I tried to turn down was blocked off by either a building laying in the road or there was power line in the road. And then there were streets that were just flooded. And then all of a sudden, like really quickly, the water just started rising up over the road and I had to like stop my vehicle and I got out of my vehicle. I stood on top of my truck and the water just kept coming and the cars were driving off the edges and like the streets were just underwater really quickly. And I was able to get on top of a building and look out and there were a bunch of people up there and I could see my whole area and it just looked like a bomb had went off. Like there were just things everywhere and water everywhere and so I was telling my team, I said, man, I had another one of them weird dreams and I was expressing it to them and they were like, gosh, that's, uh, you know, that one's another kind of crummy dream. I said, yeah, it's unfortunate that they're always negative. Like, I don't like that these things feel this way. I said, but I really don't know what this one's all about either. 
middle of August, you know, we're watching two hurricanes turn into one hurricane and we get hit by it. And then two weeks later, we get hit by another one, two hurricanes in one year. I mean, that's insane. I mean, right down the bullseye on the same area where I live. And then we just had a major flooding event. I mean, like underwater. And I thought we this never happens. I mean, not like this, like compressed two major events within less than a year. And it was very reflective. I mean, the images that you see in our area for the last year are like what this dream was like. And it happened rapidly. And it was... It, it, it's a little disconcerting because I, I did tell my wife, said, you know, when you have these types of things and they are of tense things, the only my, my judgment and I don't know a lot about dream work, but my feeling was that why are these things coming through instead of overlapping positive things? And I think at least from my feeling and I'd love to hear your take or what you know about this is that it's because it's happening to so many people. It's like collectively very charged, like painful traumatic events are charged with this sort of forwards, backwards type of ability or energy or something to reverberate from that node in time. And if you're aware, if you have some awareness of our ability or whatever that is to see that, it's why you see those things instead of utopia, you know, where people, where everything's happy and good. It's like those things are hot charged, mm-hmm. uh, sparky. I don't know. That's the way it seems to me. And does that resonate with you at all? Am I? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, to me, there's a, um, I feel the love in that, that you would, you know, it, it kind of, what comes to my mind is when I first moved out to live, I, I moved from L.A. to the middle of the mountains in in the Appalachian Mountains here, and I lived in the wilderness alone, and the neighbors out there, they thought I was this crazy person, which I am. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I didn't know how to live out in the middle of the wilderness alone. I just figured somehow I was going to, I don't know, I was naive. But so they would call me, you know, they would say, okay, there's this storm coming in and this is what you do. Cause they knew I lived alone and they didn't want to watch me die, I suppose. So, so they would call and they would say, there's a storm coming in. So you keep your water running a little bit. So your pipes don't freeze. And if the electricity goes out, fill up your bathtub with water so that you have water to wash your dishes or flush the toilet or whatever it is. And they would tell me, you know, all the things to do. Um, and, and I was so helped by that, you know, they were just training me how to be ready for things that happened weather-wise on the mountain that were, could have been overwhelming to me. I was living completely alone and I wouldn't have known I had, I'd lived in LA for 30 years. I had no idea about weather things like that. (laughs) Uh, So, so it was such a, it was a beautiful thing. And these, your dreams are like that. And they didn't call me to say, it's going to be a lovely weekend. You know, they don't, you know, there, you don't need to know that you'll have, you'll enjoy that when it happens. But it's not the same kind of preparation that you need. Um, so I, I, that's what it reminds me of. That's interesting. Like, I love the way you say that. It's like helpful. It. Yeah, it's like you're on self, capital S self, and, or you know, however you conceive of what's communicating with you there um, is is giving you a heads up. You know, it's like 
here's what you do. You know, you prepare yourself. You um, uh, you feel prepared for when things are coming. And then then it's not such a an ordeal. It could have been a terrible ordeal for me if my pipes had frozen and everything had happened. But it didn't end up being an ordeal because I was prepared for it. Yeah, I like that. That's it is. And you're right, actually. Uh, I'm not shocked. That's the other thing. None of that was shocking when it arrived. The shocking thing was just the, I guess, the novelty of, oh, wow. You know, I mean, you it does, you can't help but be a little bit surprised, or at least I was when your dream aligns with reality um, right. more than once. Uh-huh. And But what, beyond the novel excitement, there is sort of like this lack of surprise when those events actually become manifested or, or, or not manifested. They just show up. It's like, Oh, well, I'm not surprised, you right. know, and you don't feel uh fear. I mean, I didn't feel fear uh, during mm-hmm. either of those mm-hmm. events or time periods. It's like, well, no, this is just how we're going to get through this, you know, a little, yeah. a little personal Noah's Ark, I guess, type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, at some level, you probably are operating in the dream time to help others in the collective mind all along the way. So who knows your beautiful inspirational um, writings that I've seen you put out on uh, your Facebook page and other things, you know, probably your prophetic sense is how how to address your brothers and sisters in the world with this sort of wisdom that will help them when when the yeah i want to say the word hits the fan yeah (laughs) when things hit the fan you know (laughs) i would love to ask you this i I mean i don't know why it's just kind of feels like it's something i'd like to know Mm -hmm. how do you in your work i mean because you've been working in in this sort of connected connective tissue between all these different things i mean it's obviously a trajectory a momentum that your life has taken how do you stave or deal stave off or deal with dis- being discouraged when you are doing a work like you do because you're human i mean surely there's been st- times of discouragement how do you navigate that and then find do you do you do you jump right back into the same thing that you're doing or or there are moments of discouragement like moments to analyze and go maybe this discouragement is a time to make a change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a beautiful question and a, and a deep one you know and so let me just reflect for a minute um you know i i know that you know that even just the word discouragement you know it has the word coer, which is heart, you know, mm. courage, courage is being strong hearted. Okay. Um, cause yeah. it, that's the root of the word. And so discouragement is like losing heart. Mm. Um, so I would say probably if there's a sense of, of discouragement, it would be, that is a something in the mind. Okay. So you go back to the heart and what the heart knows and what the heart um, understands, and this is the organ of perception, really, that used to be our major organ of perception for millennia. You know, only in the last just few hundred years have we moved that center up to the brain, which just doesn't have the wisdom 
or the foresight or the hindsight or any of it. You know, the the brain is good for certain things. It's like a, a nice tool in the toolbox, but it's not meant to ro- rule the world. And look at what a mess we've made of it when we let it rule the world. It's right, so okay. back to the heart, you know, and the heart is in connection with in all things non-local. They're even discovering, scientists are discovering that there are cells in the heart that are in touch with non-local um, intelligences. So, and this is where we used to live from. This is where we need to go back to. So I would say discouragement is just losing heart. And so the, the, um, the effort would be to whatever in whatever ways that that work for you or any of us to go back to what the heart knows what the heart wants what the heart needs how to connect through the heart with others um and and get get your heart up wow excellent i love that you shared it that way and that's something i'm going to remember because it's funny how we intuit that we need to do things because I, I this is just full disclosure. I've been going through for the past three or four weeks, like a, a time of um, feeling discouraged. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know what caused it or what triggered it, but I definitely was I've been going through it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I f- been just intuitively going i've told my wife this i said i've got to spend some time on the water i need to get away from streets and roads i just need to float and i've been doing that more as the weeks go by getting back to just being getting on the water takes me away from really the things that we're used to the solid earth that you can stand on the the sound of combustion engines you know it's so simple and it's I've been feeling and I've told her this as that it's like medicine. I needed this because I could not, I could feel the discouragement. I could feel the heaviness and my wanting to just almost just draw in and stop communicating and stop sharing and just be selfish a little bit with my own self. But now hearing what you said, I almost can look at that and go, it's not even selfishness. It was selfishness. Selfishness. It was me probably me knowing that i needed to apply a balm because i was my heart was heavy uh-huh. and so that that dis- feeling i was maybe describing as discouragement is probably just a sense that i needed to get back to my heart and the way to do that was to just simplify and strip down and get on the water for a little while mm-hmm. yeah i mean it- certainly you you have all your personal reasons for you know whatever the discouragement is and that's you know your work but collectively you're certainly i I think not alone and i think you just really feel the world in a in a you know with your deep sort of sense of connection and compassion so you know here we are just coming out of this huge pandemic and not even knowing how to put the world back together, you know, whether right. we do this or do that ever again, or, um, and then certainly living in Louisiana where, you know, they've been battered and battered and battered, And, you know, so I'm certain that you, you're in that collective field of just battling discouragement, you know, and people, do we rebuild after 12 times, you know, like, sure. so, it seems to me that, you know, you can, um, 
you know, hold yourself gently in that because you're you you have your personal reasons, but there are so many collective reasons that you would be um, present to that um, feeling of discouragement, and then finding the way to give it some medicine. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting. I mean, I guess I haven't really stopped to, to analyze that, but talking to you is really making me like, even just in this moment, like realize some of the things that have been just hearing you acknowledge. Yeah. Louisiana, the Louisiana coast has been battered. Yeah. I really, you know, I, it's funny cause you it's, it happens and we're just coming out of another event. I mean, the flood that just happened last week. And it's like, you don't realize like what it's doing to you. You don't realize it because it, it's happening in the moment in real time. But collectively, you layer that up with the pandemic and with some of the things that have been going on in our society the last four years or more. And it's like, yeah, it gets compressed. And if you're a feeler, you may not. And I do. I do not shield myself very well. I take it all in. It just, yeah, it, it's filling you up. It's like impressing upon you. Mm-hmm. And hearing you acknowledge that and say it, it just make it just hits me like, yeah, it's more than just one thing. It's coming from a variety of places and layers. So that feeling of discouragement could be just a recipe. It could be like many ingredients. It's not just one cause. Right. It's, it's, it's again, like a heads up. It's like your dream, you know, that something's coming. It's like your body and your emotional body telling you there's a lot here, you know, so find a way to support yourself so that you can support others, which is always is something I see as a motivation that you carry. Um, so, um, so it's just a heads up that there's this feeling that needs attention and it needs care. Yeah. yeah. So dreams, I mean, you know, in your work, dreams help us in that way. Yeah. I mean, they help us in many ways, but I mean, in that way, a dream experience could be like a doctor. Absolutely. You know, I, you know, I think dreams are like the messengers from the unconscious to our conscious mind and that, you know, to get those, there's something in the unconscious and, and, um, you know, in, in Jung's terms, the unconscious is everything that we're not conscious of. So it's everything powerful and good and beautiful about, you know, everything about the universe, as well as the dark shadows. So some people, I think, have a negative impression of what the unconscious means, but it's it's all of it. It's And so the dreams are the carriers of these messages from the great... Uh, um, Unknown, as as Buckminster Fuller says, um, 99.9% of all that is affecting us in our life is unknown to the mind, unsmellable, untouchable. Uh, It's all in that spectrum of what can't be known by our senses and even by our technology. So we're affected by all this that's in the unconscious. So how do we get in relationship with that? And the dreams are the, you know, are, are the messengers that, that bring to us in symbolic and metaphoric and sometimes, you know, just straightforward, uh, very straightforward language, you know, what, what's in the unconscious that's going to help our conscious mind adapt to what's coming what has been, what is coming, you know, what we're, what we're doing right now. So, um, it, it's that it's such profound, powerful 
connection and medicine that's available to us at all times. And the fact that people don't listen to it or care about it is, I think, a, a symptom of our just pathology that where we just went into the head and decided that uh, it didn't matter. And it does. You know, it's it's everything we need um, to stay sane and stay healthy, you know, as a planet, not just a person, but as a whole system of our species and our uh, more than human world that we're um, interacting with. So, yeah, and no, I like that. That's beautiful. I uh, I like to think of the human being that way as, as like um, a dream of the universe, you know, or the earth even that uh, for it to see itself and to experience itself in, in beautiful ways. You know, granted, we do, do we can do horrible things when we forget Right. That we're the Earth's dream, you know. At least that's a way I like to think of it sometimes. Is like when I can sit in that role when I'm out in a space, or even sometimes when I'm in the midst of chaos, if I can step into a moment of peace and go, hey, I'm just a witness right now. I'm the Earth's eyes or, or the universe's eyes to experience this, whatever may be going on, even if it's chaos, and just bear witness to it. That gives me a sense of, of comfort and peace. It's kind of healing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, we. I mean, the the Earth is is life is but a dream, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> the Earth is dreaming us, and we're dreaming it, and it's all you know um, a very creative pro- process and possibility. Yeah. So I have one more question, and, and I'll, we're going to jump into some of our fishbowl questions. But one of the things that I have, have experienced in my life were associated with dreams. Um, that I've never talked about with anybody before. Oh. And I'm curious to know what you've experienced with this is shared dreams. Uh-huh. Have you, you have experience with that? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you're asking it. It's, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it gives me the, the moment or the opportunity to, to, um, tell you and your listeners that, on a monthly basis, my colleague Jocelyn Mercado and I have been conducting a global community dream symposium oh. where for two hours every month on a Friday. If you go to my website, tariaward.com, um, there's a page for the dream symposium. You can register and you'll get the notices and the, and the link to join. It's free. And for two hours every month, we have a whole global community where we come together and listen to dreams from people on all different oh, wow. countries. And you just, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. You know, we have it almost every time that there's somebody in Denmark and somebody in South Africa and somebody in Canada and somebody in Detroit that are all sort of having the same information and messages coming in just slightly varied ways, various ways, but um, are giving us very similar messages and symbols to work with. And so it's like this whole, we're all in the same dream together. Um, so there is a, a, a very, it gives us a, an experience of the collective aspect of who we are. You know, that our personal identity is so profound and important to us, but it has eclipsed, you know, in our sort of, I don't know, self consciousness that we've developed it has eclipsed this sense that no we all belong to each other and we're all having a, 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 a profound experience together and i feel like COVID is sort of waking us up to that it's like 
This is the global dream. There's nobody anywhere on any continent anywhere that doesn't know that we're having this dream of COVID. And it's kind of uniting us in that amazing way to make us aware that there's no way you can separate yourself out from what the whole globe is going on right now. And people try, but you can't. So, um, and that's, you know, that's just sort of a heads up of this is the reality of who we are. We're one organism yeah. here. Let's deal with that. And the dreams, there are a lot of shared and collective dreams that um, I experience. And see, I, being a dream analyst, sometime I'll have three, four people in, come into my office who have no idea of each other and tell me almost the same dream. Wow. Okay. I've had that experience. It's just amazing. So they have not met each other they are not having the same life or anything or the same gender or the same age or anything and they're coming in with the same dream one after another i've had those days where i'm just at the end of the day thinking what am i supposed to do with this information because they don't know it they don't know that each other are having the dreams am i supposed to tell them you know it's, it's yeah it's, that is interesting you now you know i'm telling you know in the and that's partly why the the dream symposium was created because i was talking to jocelyn about this everybody's having the same dream what am i supposed to do with this yeah you know, collecting the information but i'm not sure what to do with it she's and so we came up with the idea of the Dream Symposium together. I love that. I mean, I really do. Because, I mean, you know, again, I used that word novel earlier. Having a, a shared dream experience with somebody and discovering that, especially when there's just two, it, it's not even vaguely s similar. It's like the same environment, the same details. Even that person being in your dream with you and you in theirs, you know, that's a strange thing. I mean, it just... It breaks through what we think we know. And there's this tendency to go, oh, that's neat, you know, or how novel, and just go, well, that's a fluke, and I don't know what to make of it and move on. But when you really sit with it, it's confounding. I mean, because it just goes, yeah, what you think you know about time and space, consciousness, uh, the ability of the one uh, mind to reach out to another, dream space... <laughs> All those things go out the window, right? And it, it you know, it, it's it's extremely important. It, it seems like a novelty, and it is to our poor, poverty-stricken minds right now. But it's the it's the truth of who we are, you know. So um, it's you know, it's huge medicine to realize. We're all connected. We're all, I just heard Christopher Beish say the other day, we're like all leaves on the same tree. You know, we think we're separate, but we're all being fed from the same root. We're all mm. being fed the same sun, the same ecosystem of the planet. We're all like, we're all connected. And the dreams will tell us that. And it's how do we function in the world if we understand that? You know, if, if I am doing things that uh, promote my own economy, but it's making putting you into poverty. You and I are leaves on the same tree. We're all going to die. It's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so we have it's it's the sort of sane way to function in this world to recognize this um, truth that we're all part of the same system and we cannot operate uh, as if we're not. See, I, that's a beautiful takeaway from just that. I mean, to have a shared dream experience, if someone walks away from that experience and they just learn what you just said, if that's the takeaway, 
How life-changing is that? Because then you see your brothers and sisters everywhere, you know, right. then you see that, you know, my wealth, I've all, I've said this often that one's gain comes from somewhere. You, if you look at lack and gain, if you gain, it's, it's drawn from something or somewhere, you know, and when I see my brother or sister in poverty, but I'm, I have excess, then certainly I, I see the cause. I mean, just in my own life, you know, and if we could collectively see that, right? And, you know, and dream tissue could be that way, I guess. I mean, it could be a great tool for that, for us to see that if we were, as you said, we could get out of this narcissistic sort of ego selfishness that we live, we tend, we're told and taught and bombarded with, uh, then we could, we could do that on this planet collectively and be better leaves. Right, exactly. And just keep everybody healthy. You know, I can't be healthy if you're not, I just can't. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Just like, you know, one leaf might be, um, looking like it's thriving a little bit, but if the one that's six leaves away is, is suffering, it's all going to infect the whole system. So we just, we have to, you know, take care of the whole system or, or we all suffer. So it kind of reminds me of um, caring for my lotuses, what you're saying right there, because, you know, they, they come out in stages each year. And I've only had them for a couple of years now, but watching them go through those stages, you know, it's first the small lily pads that float on the water and then the larger ones start to come up and then they rise up. And then once those really large ones come up, I'll start seeing the buds and they just keep making their way. And one of the things that I've read just in caring for them and it, it's proven to be true is not to cut those off. Don't, you know, some people want to prune them back the little, the pads themselves, you know, because they want the the flower part uh-huh. and they, they say, don't ever cut them, just let them grow and die on their own. And then they will fall back down into the water and the pads themselves new or the new have the nutrients that are needed for the growth for next year. They need their own leaves, so to speak, you know, to be back a part of that soil, you know, to make it rich and your year after year, they're going to become more robust and healthier. But if you cut them, if you cut those leaves off and take them out and throw them off to the side, you're actually robbing from that Lotus organism that's growing beneath the water. It reminds me so much of what you're saying right there. I mean, the leaves are so important in that growth and, and letting them make their cycle and not removing them or treating them poorly. It's, a, it's the wisdom of nature. If we would just listen, it tells us everything we need to know about how things are and how things work. You're not going to find those things on spreadsheets and, you know, boardrooms. You're going to find it in just exactly what you're doing there with the lotus leaves. That's where the true wisdom is. Nature is our teacher. Um, so that's so beautiful. I mean, that in that little microcosm right there is the whole explanation of the macrocosm of the universe just in that you know it's mm-hmm. it's so beautiful yeah and if we look as you just said i mean if we look we see the patterns everywhere right yes yeah i mean they are everywhere it's yeah and we just need to open our eyes and hearts mostly if we see with the heart you know it seems like you're seeing that lotus with the heart yeah that's a good i, I was laying in bed with my son the other night and i was kind of thinking something similar and i really didn't 
put it, think about it until just now, but I was thinking, you know, with all my children, I mean, you hope that you live your own life and and you and I obviously have some thoughts about reincarnation, you know, and I think in this incarnation, I thought if I live this life and I'm able to be, uh, just like part of his soil, you know, part of the enrichment of his soil, it's okay for me to let go of my life when it's time. It's okay for me to erode or die in this body as and as long as I've been something fertile as sort of for his roots and for his stability and or all of their stability. And then when they as they grow, they draw from your nutriments, you know, they draw those things up into their life as they get larger and live their life. And your identity begins to sort of dissolve and fade away and it's almost absorbed into their life and and that's just one little family but i was thinking you know that's kind of what we can do for each other in communities too if we're willing to do that to be a nutriment you know something for the community as a whole to draw up into itself as it grows and then you know you may take up form again and some other incarnation right yeah and we sort of go through the dying and the incarnating, you know, so many times and even in our one life, you know, that, you know, they're whatever the the different phases of our lives and the phases of our work and the phases of our um, consciousness, you know, the, the dying of the old is sort of nutrients for the for the next phase. Yeah. Um, and it's what we have to offer the world is, you know, that that we went through this phase and learned all this and now it's fading and it's time for the next. Um, and if we stay too attached to one or the other, then sometimes we can decay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, or we'll just go down with the with the decaying part. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm hey there, good news listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. So, you've listened to some of the episodes of Find the Good News? Yes. Well, you know about the thing at the end with the fishbowl? I don't think I do, so tell me. So this is the part of the show called Fishing for Goodies. Okay. And over the years with this show, what I've done is I've added questions to this fishbowl, and some of the guests have put questions in, and just a variety of different things. And so what I've done is at the end of the show, I draw three random questions from this fishbowl for each guest, and I let the fishbowl ask the questions. Ooh, I love that. What a great idea. So let's see. It's a little uh, like an oracle. Okay, cool. You know, to some degree. So there's one, and there's two, and there's three. Okay, here we go. This is going to be fun. Oh my gosh, this is a heavy question. I hope you're ready. (laughs) What was the hardest decision you've ever had to make? 
That is a toughie. I mean, well, I mean, it, actually, I think that, that it's in a way it's kind of obvious. You know, there's two really critical moments in my life. One was resigning from the ministry, and the other was um, my divorce. But the, the divorce decision was sort of made for me. It was not, you know. So I guess I, I would. That was the hardest separation I've ever experienced. But I don't think it was a decision I made. The decision to leave the ministry was, it was shattering. It was really hard. It was, you know, it was sort of like I hit the wall with everything I thought I was going to be and do for the rest of my life. It, it dismantled everything I thought about myself, my profession. It took me away from people and community um, that I'd been with who didn't understand the reasons for my decision. And I didn't want to tell them the reasons for my decision because I felt like it would be dismantling of what was sacred and working for them. Yeah. I started started saying why it stopped being working for me. I felt like it would be disruptive to their, you know, their journey and their experience. So I had to step away from it all without really explaining why and feeling that that was um, the right thing to do. But it left people kind of in the dark about where, you know, what, where did she go? What? I was uh, ordained and I was a leader and I was, you know, uh, uh, so um, that was a hard decision to make it took about three or four months um of just agony before i finally was clear and once i got clear it had to be done and it was hard but it was making the decision yeah i it's interesting that you brought up divorce and that because i understand that with divorce i mean it was very similar to what you described it i i could i knew it was coming I knew before I even spoke the words that I that it was necessary, uh, but it was hard to get to the to you know you've almost like the you're in stages of making a decision. It's like I'm gonna I need to do this. I feel this. You go through all the pros and cons of this. You think about who, how it's gonna affect other people. All of that, and then at the same time, you know, it goes on for months and months, and then when you finally make the decision, it's like so firm. It was so firm, and but yet not without pain, but freeing too. It was like okay, it's like trying to break out of a a hard shell, even like going okay. There's oxygen out here. There's life out here. I got to get out of this shell, but it's gonna. It's hard. It's crunchy. It's cutting my hands, pulling it off of me, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's achieving the clarity that it takes to make such a critical and crucial decision that is the journey, you know? And once you've got the clarity, then you have to go through the process. But it's, um, it, that's the breaking of the glass is when you get clear. Yeah. Um, when it all and you start to re- breathe the oxygen outside of your glass bubble. Yeah. So powerful mm-hmm. answer. I'm um, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. actually a that's the power of the fishbowl too. It asks good questions sometimes. Yeah. So your second question, a little bit to do with time travel, actually. Oh, okay. If you could go back in time, what one thing would you tell your teenage self? Ooh, 
Ooh, that's such a good one. And now you only get to tell yourself one thing. Yeah. That's a hard one because look, I just wrote a letter to my son for he graduated and I, I decided <laughs> it would be good for him to have a letter from his father. You know, if something ever happened, I thought it'd be nice to have just a long, rich letter. But at the end of the letter, I said, I'm going to give you 22 tips. I'm just going to give them to you as if they're coming right out of my head, which they did. And I, well, I'm going to give you some tips. And as I started writing these tips, I was like, oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. And just kept going. And now that I'm asking you this question, I'm like, gosh, I don't know what I would narrow that down to. Because it's kind of what I was doing with my son. Like, he's my teenage, you know, a teenager, so. And it's like you were talking to your teenage self. <laughs> yeah, kind of, right. Which you'd been told, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know, maybe, maybe what I would tell myself is... It's all good. You know, don't take it all so seriously. Mm. You know, it's Things are going to be hard. Um, and when I think of the things that have been hard, you know, the, um, and I, there's still things in my life that I don't believe it's all good yet. <laughs> you know, I, I need to know it still. You know, I, yeah. I, wish, I, could, <laughs> I wish I could tell my, my current self as well as my teenage yeah, I hear self. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's really all good and don't take it too seriously it's like we're we're fine we're in good hands in this universe um and there is a pattern and we're cared for um and ultimately in the bigger picture all is well and all shall be well yeah that's a good piece of advice yeah, more flexibility. I would even say that looking at those things I wrote to my son, that a lot of them were related in a similar way to allowing yourself to be more pliable than uh-huh. you think you than you think you need to be. You know, because yeah. that's something I would say. Even maybe not a regret, but it, I mean, it's in that category for sure. I wish I would have been more pliable and more um, willing to allow myself to bend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life is going to break your heart. You know, I look at my little grandson, he's five years old, and I think life's going to break his heart because that's just what it does. And I don't want it to happen. So I need to, I need to just say, okay, you know, it's, it's, um, life is, is that is, and it's all good. Yeah. That's good advice. It really is. I could take that for myself too. I'm trying even, now, I mean, in this phase that I'm in of this sort of healing my heart, I mean, which I'm kind of discovering today, that's what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, or re-encouraging it. Right. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like that. It's part of it is like allowing there to be just a little less serious, you know, and just be um, more comfortable in my own life as it as it just really is. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. And I'm going to keep keep working with that one. Oh, this is it. This is a good question, too. Man, it really provided today. What is something that you want to get better at? So that would imply you're already doing something, but you're just going to enhance it, right? 
Yeah. I, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, I guess I'll just say whatever the first thing that comes to mind is very uh, self-oriented, but I have an inner critic who can be really crucial, critical. I mean, really hard on me. Um, and I would just like to be, you know, just be easier on myself. I'd like to get better at that. God, I resonate with you on that. I do. I can tell yeah. by your body language how much you mean that. And I, I, I get do. It. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I have a wound. Uh huh. Yeah, a yeah. shared wound. Right. We talked about it in our letter, and I'm happy to say that. Yeah. If you're happy to I, say, I I'm, am too. I, Whether we're and, we, and I can say I'm okay. I can say I'm healed and I'm living my life. But it is very much like the way I hear um, people talk about shrapnel. You know, like, oh, you know, sometimes in the winter it aches or when I stand a certain way, I can feel the metal grind and I forget about it until I do this. I hear people say things like that about shrapnel and I go, mm, yeah, just left a like a a view askew and it left it so deep in, in there that I think and I think my inner critic adopted it like said, oh, this piece is mine and it uses it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like it's uh-huh. its best weapon f- against me. And it's old and it even it isn't even related almost to the original event anymore. Mm-hmm. It, right. Yeah. It probably preceded the original event and was exacerbated in that event and now just has its own life. Right. Yeah. For me, the shrapnel is PTSD. You know, I've been diagnosed with that too from the shock of that. Mm, yeah. It was just it was it was really just shocking and shattering when it, when it when I made the you know discovery. So it, it's it's like yeah, I can stand up, I can walk, and I can move. But there is that. It's like the shrapnel. It's like there's that moment when the it takes over my nervous system or there it takes yeah. over my emotional nature. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you, just work with it. you just work with it. Yeah. Well, it gets it gets embedded too. And if you have a if you have a world wound, you know, like a uh, a mystical wound. Yes. Then mm-hmm. you know uh, sometimes that wound is so big that all these other ones are sort of slipped down into that crevasse along the walls. I think sometimes too. I think that as humans, we all have you know. We, we all have to work with the, the wound of just incarnation. You know, it just it takes us out of our sort of innocence and divinity into uh, uh, this growth opportunity. Um, but it has its its pain and its wounds that, that are how we grow. So Yeah, I mean, it's when, for a while when I was experimenting with Catholic practices, especially mystical practices of Catholicism in my life, I was really drawn to uh, any practices that were focused on the wound in the side of Christ, you know, and Mm -hmm. there were times when I would just as a meditation, just sort of slip off into those wounds, you know, and go, okay, I want to just crawl up inside this side here because it's as close as I, when I get deeper and deeper into that, that wound in the side then it pierces the heart that's my that's my way into that heart space uh-huh right you know? it was like i don't have to stay in the wound the wound's the door to the heart if i can just get through that wound i can put my mouth i used to say it to people like i want to put my mouth 
on it and just drink the heart through it. Like, Aww. you know, because that heart is like honey. That's the like elixir, but the wound is so painful. You know, it, it just hearing you say that, it, it just reminds me of the uh, ubiquitous pictures of uh, Jesus and Mary with their sacred heart, the yeah. sacred heart sacred heart of mary and they have a crown of thorns being their hearts just being pierced in that way there's something so iconic about that's what the heart has to experience and that's these are our our you know our divinity uh, in the western uh christian world or you know those who love i don't even think everybody who loves jesus and mary are necessarily christian right. they're not sure that organized thing but so anyway, these are iconic figures, and, and they're shown with their hearts being pierced. And that's part of the, the iconic experience of, of that journey of uh, entering our divine selves. Yeah, I totally agree and resonate with that so much. I got really excited hearing you say that, because the iconography of that... I've often said to people who are willing to share those moments with me that those are maps, you know, uh-huh. uh, for the human experience. And we tend to think of ourselves very literally as, you know, the heart encased inside of a, a bone and a sternum and a, it's, it's enclosed. But when you look at these maps, uh, you see beings that their heart is outside of themselves. It's out in front and it's glowing, but it's wounded, you know, it's pouring out this radiance or it's on fire with something wonderful, but yet there's holes in it and there's mm-hmm. blood pouring out. So it's like a, it's a, it's not just a picture of one thing. It's, it's like our future if we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it helps us hopefully accept the wounding that, you know, that, it, you know, I don't want to have that for Jesus or Mary, their hearts getting pierced, but how do we say to ourselves, it's all good. It's all right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all of it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So I have one last question and this one's not from the fishbowl. It's from me. I ask every guest this at the end of the show. Uh, And that question is, did anything good happen today? I uh, feel like um, everything that happened today is good. You know, in terms of this conversation, I feel like we just reached deep into our own authentic hearts and souls and shared what was, uh, most raw and true. And, um, I feel like the questions that you ask, you're just a brilliant interviewer. Oh, that's you, so kind. Out, um, you, you draw it all out. You know, I, I think that's just a brilliant thing that you do to make, conversations like this happen i think this is how the world is created by shared um connection and ideas so um the fact that you create this space and invite your uh guests who come with you know uh the intention to share their innermost self and heart um it's a it's just a beautiful thing that you do um and i'm just grateful and privileged to be part of your experiment and your journey here so yes i mean this is just a beautiful thing absolutely i I have to reflect that back to you this was such a uh i needed this conversation i didn't realize that i needed it but i did i mean i really did it i'm gonna leave it 
with some serious things to think about uh, and serious in a good way, not serious in a heavy way. Like I actually feel like I've gained some clarity into the space that I've kind of found myself in and new, uh, new reasons to continue producing this space uh, for whatever, for whoever wants to be in it and listen to it and enjoy it. Well, uh, what a beautiful thing that you do, and you're, you're, uh, I get to see you. Your guests don't, I suppose, but it, I love your background. It's all oh, just, it's wild, right? <laughs> it's wild and wonderful. Yeah, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, it's just great to be with you in your studio. Same yeah. here. This has been a treat because, you know, as we started out talking about, we're pen pals as well as social media friends, but we're, we're actually pen pals. So yeah. this is yeah. great. Yeah, that was a great experiment you started there too. You're good at these experiments. I'm trying to I'm trying to learn, <laughs> trying to learn still. <laughs> well, you follow your ideas and your intuitions, um, and I do want to say to whoever's listening, I just send love to all your guests and you know hope that all the, the good blessings of life and uh, will will come your way. I just um, send sincere blessings. Thank you so much. I I, I feel that. I, I wish sometimes I do wish the guests could see us, you know, but uh, I can see you and I can tell that's so sincere by the your body language and the, the kindness oh. on your face. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, I feel that. I feel it very sincerely. Yes. Um, just real quickly, uh, if you would like for people to find you and connect with your work, what what is the best way for them to do that? The best way is to go to my website. It's Taria, T-A-Y-R-I-A-W-A-R-D.com, TariaWard.com. Okay. Uh, and you can you can contact me there. You can see what I do there. And um, there's videos on my resources page of different things um, and uh, articles I've written. And so, you know, just to – there's a – it's a resource – well, I appreciate you, and I hope that people do go there. And I, I, I'm very excited about this symposium that you talked about as well. Yeah, the Dream Symposium. You should uh, come and listen and and share a dream. Um, so fascinating. Yeah, it's truly fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that that's something that when I was younger probably couldn't have even imagined what happened. I mean, you know, pre-internet, pre, you know, any personal computers, <laughs> smartphones, cameras, as a young person, you know, that would have not been possible for these things to happen. So right. to see it actually happen, that's fascinating, you know? Yeah, it's such a good use of our modern technology. It is. To put together something like that and just have it be really organic and, and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That I thank y'all for doing that. I, I will. I will take part in that. That that's that's something I'm highly interested in, especially after our conversation today. Okay. All right, Oren. Well, I look forward to being in touch in all the ways through our letters and yes. online and, and in these ways. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Terry Award. If you found something of use in this conversation, please share this episode with a friend, leave a review, or consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.